If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. We have a mission to improve the welfare of horses throughout the world through the safe education of riders, handlers and trainers and that's what these chats are all about. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Today's guest is Brian Nielsen. Brian, how are you today? I'm doing fantastic. Enjoy being with you and I look forward to being at Equitana also. All right. Now, Brian, just going over so we can introduce you, I'm going to talk to you. You're a researcher. And your primary focus is towards reducing injuries to performance horses through nutrition, training, and management. And you also work in a collaborative way at equine behavior. So does that pretty much explain it, or would you expand on that anymore? Well, well I think you covered a lot of the areas that uh, I work in. Mm. Uh, here at Michigan State University, where I'm a professor, uh, I'm the only one in our department with a horse research appointment. And yep. as a result, anytime anybody has any questions, I'm the guy that they come to. And uh, But I, I certainly have enjoyed trying to find ways to decrease injuries to our performance horses. I think that's one of the greatest things that we can do for these animals that do so much for us. Yes, yes. It works both ways. You know, it means that their life as a performance horses can continue, but um, it's a really tricky one because, you know, it breaks people's hearts if they're really close to a horse and then all of a sudden they get to a certain level and, and the horse breaks down. So I think that expanding their life is so important. I should say they're... Um, it's not just expanding their life, it's their usefulness, isn't it? It, it is. Mm. And uh, and actually, I, I want to give you a little story. When I got hired here at Michigan State University back in 1996, my uh, title is equine exercise physiologist. Yep. And even though you could not find a more perfect job for me, I still thought that seemed a little fluff, you know, how unimportant is that in mm. terms of you got people who are working on trying to cure cancer and all that. But uh, I had sent a birthday card to one of the racehorse trainers that I used to ride for in Texas. And uh, I got home one day, and I had a message on my answering machine from him. And he thanked me for that. And he said, I want to update you on racing, and things are going good here. And there was a horse that I had uh, started under saddle for him and used to gallop. And the horse's name was Cash from Texas. And that horse, he only cost $3,500 to purchase, but he ended up making over $120,000 for them. Mm. And in fact, he had won them a brand new truck and trailer. Anyway, going ahead with the story, the uh, he said, we raced this horse three times. He ran third his first time. His second time, he won. And then his third time, he finished second. And after he crossed the finish line, he broke down. Oh. He said, we tried to do everything we could for him but we had to put him down. And here is this guy who's been training racehorses oh, for decades. Mm. And he's had done, and you could tell he was on the edge of crying as he yep. told me that news. And this was a horse I loved and he loved. And it dawned on me that, you know what, we are doing something important. If we mm. can prevent injuries to the horses and the riders that are on them too. Mm. And yes. it's not just the traumatic breakdowns. It's also, you know, just a horse being sore. And mm. They're in pain and we, mm. we don't want to do that. So. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm almost in tears. You're telling me that anyway. 
All right. Um, Look, normally we start off and ask people a quote, you know, so it could be a quote that's inspired you, a quote that you use often. What would you say your favorite quote is? I have a a quote I like to tell my students, and it all deals with trying to be aware of horses and, and when you're riding them and working them. And I didn't come up with this. Ray Hunt was the guy who, and he's a famous horse person here in the U.S., but he says, what happened before what happened happened? And I'll repeat that because it's a little bit of a tongue twister, which is what happened before what happened happened. And uh, I love using this for teaching because when you're riding a horse and something bad happens, you know, the horse ducks out or the horse starts to buck or something, you know, that didn't just happen. There was something that occurred right before then. And the difference between an experienced rider and somebody kind of green is the experienced rider typically sees that happening or feels it happening or is looking for that clue that something's going to happen. Yep. And so I love to tell my students that just to try and make them think a little bit when they're riding, they should always be an active person, always paying attention to their horse. Um, and especially the green riders, they'll wonder, well, why did my horse stop? And it's like, well, if you're paying attention, he told you you were going to stop. Mm. You just needed to know that. So that's yep. my fun little quote. And part of it is, it's just fun to say. Yes, yes, a bit of a tongue twister as well, isn't it? You bet. Yeah, yeah. Okay, now, Brian, tell us about an early memory with horses. I'm sure you've got a good one. Well, I probably had a little different uh, start into the horse industry. Maybe it started that way, but then it changed. Like, um, my family had horses. We had a couple of them when I was a little kid up until about, I don't know, five or six years old. And my dad thought they were dangerous, so he got rid of them and got us motorcycles. Now, I don't know how intelligent that is. But it was one of those things growing up, I had no interest in dealing with horses at all. They were big. They were scary. I figured you'd be galloping across the field and a horse would step in a hole and, you know, you'd break down and you'd get injured. A horse would get injured. And I just knew they were big and they were dangerous. And so had no interest in them. And uh, all through high school, I worked four years at a vet clinic and I was kind of getting tired of that. And one day, one of my high school classmates told me about... uh, him working as a trail guide, taking people on horseback through a state park. And I was like, well, that sounds like a pretty good job, Mm. pretty good way to spend a day. And so uh, I applied out there and uh, I uh, I really knew nothing about horses. I had to ask my friends how you stop them and how you steer them. (laughs) And uh, the, the gentleman that had that place, we are still friends to this day. He's in his 80s and I saw him here just a few months ago. And he still joked about it. He says, I knew you didn't know anything about horses, but I've never had anybody hand me a five-page resume before. He goes, in fact, I never even had anybody hand me a resume. <laughs> and so fortunately, he gave me that uh, that break into the horse game. And uh, if it wasn't for him taking a chance on this kid who really knew nothing about horses but is extremely passionate uh, I don't know what I would be doing these days. Mm-hmm. And then like most of your your listeners would know, uh, being in horses, it's it's like a drug. Once you get a little bit of it, you need more and more. And so that was how my life ended up going the direction it did. And, and uh, you know, wow. since then I've been on hundreds, if not thousands of horses and have traveled the world speaking on them. And it's been a, a, a pretty good life. Yeah, yeah. But but even, I suppose you went straight in as a professional, didn't you? You know, as a trail ride guide. So it's not like you started off and then, and then decided to become professional because as a trail ride guide, you're still a professional. I never thought about that, but you bet I was making my living on horseback. 
And I'll tell you what, it, it was a, a great experience from the standpoint of, you know, spending eight to 12 hours, you know, per day in the saddle, yep. you know, usually six days per week. And, uh, you know, I didn't have that educated horse background at that point. But what I was doing was getting to know about horses yeah, yep. and getting lots of time in the saddle, things that, if you're a, a typical kid and you get to take your riding lessons a few times per week, you're not getting that. You're getting that uh, that instruction, but you're not getting just that time spent with horses. Yeah. And then actually, when I went off to college, I started as a chemistry major, and uh, but the horse thing had already kind of gotten into my blood, mm-hmm. and uh, I decided to join the uh, the rodeo club at the school I was at. I wasn't <laughs> riding rodeo at that point. Um, and then I decided to do an internship uh, on a Morgan horse farm riding dressage horses. And then when I finished up there, I went back and uh, uh, started actually riding the bucking horses. And by that point, my whole life was over with in terms of anything besides horses, because ever since then, that's what it's been. And all types of horses. In fact, I believe it's really important to have lots of diversity. Um, you know, here in the States, we tend to have people that ride Western or we ride English and Oftentimes they don't mix, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking it's it's all horses, it's all horsemanship, and the more experience you get and the more varied it is, probably the better off you're going to be. But no, I guess you're right. Right from the very beginning, um, uh, it, it's been a paid gig, and I yeah. like that. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And, and in fact, along that lines, and you might think I'm somewhat obsessive compulsive. But since 1990, I can tell you exactly how many horses I've ridden every day. And uh, part of that was, like, during grad school, uh, five and a half years of grad school, I had about 7,000 rides, and most of those were paying rides. Mm -hmm. And so I had to keep track of it for purposes of billing the trainers that I was riding for. And and I also think it's useful as a trainer these days to know who I was riding what day and what I did with them. So, uh, yeah, I've taken it a little bit on the serious side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what about for people who are coming up? Now, say if someone handed you a five-page resume with no experience with horses, what else would you be looking for? You know, not just, I mean, I'm sure your boss was looking for something else besides that five-page resume. You know, maybe the passion that you had. Maybe. Sure. What, what else do you think you need to be in the horse industry? Well, I, I think what makes a person successful in any industry is being passionate about what they're doing yep. and being dedicated. Uh-huh. Um you know, I had a, a thoroughbred trainer that uh, I got a job riding for uh, between my junior and senior year of college, and and I love what he said. He said, around here we work half a day. He said, what you do with the other 12 hours is up to you. Mm-hmm. And uh, in reality, it was often more like 13 or 14-hour days, and I loved it because, you know, if you're just working horses all day long, that's a great job. And uh, so I, I think that's it. As somebody who can work hard, and is very dedicated to it. You know, the thing about starting out in the horse industry is there's a lot of people who would love to do what we do. That's why there are so many, you know, young people that volunteer at a local stables to clean stalls for free just because they want to be around horses. So there's lots of people who are willing to do it, but you need to show them that you're a harder worker than everybody else. And again, it's that passion because you know, there's days when it's cold, there's days when it's hot. Horses need to be fed and taken care of every single day, whether it's rainy or snowy or it just doesn't matter. And and if you're not passionate about it, then you're going to learn to hate it. And if you're passionate about it, you'll live the greatest life you've ever could imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you think is the absolute best thing about 
working in the horse industry? It's an obvious answer, and <laughs> it's the horses. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I'm, it's one of those things that we are so fortunate to be able to do this job that people pay to do. Because yep. uh, they love horses, and and the fact you get to work with them, and, and for me, it's it's the working with them, it's the riding of them. I, I love riding. You know, these days at a university, you have long days, and sometimes you don't get home in time to get any riding. And, you know, by the time I get home this evening, it's going to be dark out and won't be doing any riding. Um, but when I'm on the back of a horse, it, it's just a great feeling. And I always think back to there's a, a movie that was out many years ago, and there was a line in there, and it was about a guy and a gal, and the line was, you complete me. And every time when I've skipped riding for a while and I get back on a horse, that's what goes through my mind. It's like, you complete me, because that's where I feel the best. That's where I feel complete. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, the best thing is the horses. Oh, yeah, I absolutely agree. Yep, yep. It's funny, because I ask people this, and I think it's almost an assumed thing, you know, because people don't. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, obviously, that's why you, you start off in the first place. Yeah, apart from you, yep. who just wanted a job during the summer. <laughs> yeah, I just thought it'd be a great gig, just riding yeah. a horseback out in the sunshine all day long. Yeah. I, I didn't yeah. realize what was going to happen. Sure, sure. What about people that have helped you along the way? Well, you know, the thing is, is I got very lucky. I've, I've worked for and written for so many great individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, and But I want to go back to probably, if it was not my first horse professor at the school that I went to, if it wasn't for him, um, I don't know if I would have made this the career that I did, but it was uh, Larry Kasten is his name. I'll give him a shout out. Um, And uh, there were actually tons of us students that all feel the same way about this guy. He was such an inspiration because I'll call it like it is. When I was a trail guide, I didn't understand horsemanship. You know, I will admit, you know, you, you jerk, you pull, you, you bump, you thump, you do that stuff. And, and that's not horsemanship, but I didn't know anything better. And I remember that first day of college, my uh, sophomore year, and this is after I'd been doing this, uh, this internship on a dressage farm and had gotten involved with rodeo. And I was taking my first horse class and I remember the lab and he was showing how you could make a horse move away from pressure. And he had this gray Arabian by the name of Chaz. It's, you know, that was what, 1987. And I can remember it like yesterday, even the horse's name. And I'm really bad with names. Um, But anyway, I remember him putting his hand on the horse's neck and putting a little pressure and then, you know, when the horse gave a little bit, he released. And it's that simple give and take and pressure and release. And it was such an inspirational moment because that was that aha moment where I was like, oh, that's horsemanship. That's not forcing an animal to do something. That's asking them and waiting for their response and rewarding that response. And uh, there was so much to learn from that guy. And I, I just... You know, if I wasn't set on the right track with that proper foundation, who knows what would have happened. And again, I have been fortunate enough to ride for many outstanding horse trainers over the years. And and I think you have to steal information from all of these individuals. You take what works for you that, you know, this trainer used and and that was a positive thing. And you might not do something else that they 
you don't think it works for you. And, and so I've been able to work for a lot of individuals and steal little tidbits from each one of them and, and take what works best. But again, I, I got to give credit to Larry Kasten and that, that foundation because there are a lot of people who have never seen that. And, and I'll admit, I go to horse shows sometimes, and sometimes it, I just it, it makes me almost sick to my stomach to watch some people and the way they calling it like it is. They're abusing their animal, and they don't even necessarily realize that's what they're doing. But the way they're jerking on the horse, and uh, they haven't had that opportunity, which I was so graciously given, to witness what true horsemanship is and to see horses that are happy and content with what they're doing. Mm. And to me, that's just such a gift if we can work with a horse in such a manner. Yep, yep, yep. Yes, so when we talk about horse welfare, it's the mindset of the horse as well, isn't it? You bet. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, And, you know, so often people, yeah, they know they're a living, breathing creature, but they don't really think about that and how... You know, we all have good days and we have bad days, and we have days when we don't feel great. And so if we get gripey with our horse on a day that it's not performing well, well, you know what? Maybe it's having a bad day. And at least a person has to be cognitive of that, that this is an individual who is just like us. And and even in terms of, you know, going back to my passion about trying to make horses sound and keep them sound, um, you know, I'll often have a student say, oh, you know, my horse is a little off on its left front. You know, do you think it's okay if I ride him? And I'll be like, sure, you realize that if you ride him, you're going to make him even more uh, uncomfortable and in greater pain because that's why that horse is off is because he's in pain. But if you feel comfortable making your horse in greater pain, you go for it. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes they'll be like, oh, you know, I never even thought about that. Yeah. And once they think about it, then they're a little bit more conscientious. And so some of it is just being aware. And even in terms of going back to your first question, which is, you know, a favorite quote, Ray Hunt, who I quoted, he has a number of them. But I also love, he would often, if he was autographing something, besides his name, he would write the word think. And that's sometimes something we all really need to do is just think about what we're trying to do with our horses and, and, you know, be in their shoes. And I don't want my shoes nailed onto my feet, but at the same point, you know, oftentimes we try to force horses and I just don't think that's a great thing. I'll also admit that there's times when it may be the appropriate thing. You got a horse that knows what it should be doing and just being cranky and, and, and may just be trying to get away with something. That's a little different story than the horse that just is confused or doesn't know or is having a bad day and just needs some time. Because yeah. we all fit in that same category. Sure. Sure. Yep. Yep. Is there a particular horse that you think's influenced you? You know, of the of the thousands that you've ridden, but is there a particular one? You know, that is such a tough question, and you know, I, I would say I've had favorites over mm-hmm. the years, and I could go out to some of those first horses that uh, I started riding, and you know, when you're spending hours in the saddle with them, and and uh, the two mean that I. Uh, mean horses that I worked with, you know, I still have a very passionate place in my heart for them. Uh, you know, one of them's name was Flash, the other's name was Pride, and they were just great gals that you could depend on, you know, whatever you needed to do. If you needed to be to a different rider in a heartbeat, they would take you there. You never had to doubt them. Um, and so there are that kind of horses. But, you know, then there was also those horses that were challenging. And, uh, I've only had two horses in my life that I would say ever scared me regarding riding them. 
um, and just because they were very much on the bronchi side. But they also hold a very fond place in my heart from the standpoint of what they taught me. And one of them in particular, I was way too early in my training career to probably be dealing with a horse like this. But man, by the time I was done with him, he was pretty amazing horse. And and another one, he was such an unbelievable athlete, but boy, his mind was something else. And, and and not in the good way. I mean, this was a horse that just, yeah, uh, he was, a very, very tough horse, a very dangerous horse, but man, was he fast. He was race, uh, a race horse, and, and he actually got away from a groom once, um, ran onto the track, and uh, didn't think anything of it, lead rope and toe, but it turns out he went and hit a, a post with his uh, right front leg and actually fractured his pastern, and, and he never got to race, you know, because he had to be put down, and and the good and the bad, uh, I mean, I would love to have seen this horse is arguably the fastest horse I ever rode, but the same point is he was potentially dangerous. Uh, mm-hmm. He only got me off the very first day when he came in and, you know, I was riding him cause I knew he could buck way better than I could ride. Um, never got me off again. And, uh, but I'll tell you what, he was a special one, and I really regret not seeing what he could have done. And you also feel a little bad for a horse like that. That's a horse that takes life too seriously. And, um, you know, I always question whether or not with just more time, if he could have ever, you know, been comfortable mm-hmm. in his own skin. Um, I, I blessed the trainer that had him. He never got gripey with the groom that let him go, partially because, you know, I think he got loose from that trainer before too. He was a challenging <laughs> horse. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm giving you different extremes. I'm, I'm yep. showing you the horses that have been just your most faithful companion that you absolutely could trust all the way to the ones that I learned a lot from just because they were so challenging. Um, and so yeah, places for all of them. Yeah. Yeah. What about the proudest moment? What do you think that's been? You know, that's a, a different one. I have a couple different takes on that. And um, maybe my proudest moment doesn't actually pertain to a single horse, but I'm kind of proud of the research that we do. And we do, you know, all kinds of things from nutrition, management, exercise, physiology, behavior. Some of it, you know, we investigate whether supplements work or not. And the answer is most of them don't, but that's a whole other story. But what I really like is that along the way, we discovered one of the major issues with trying to keep horses sound, and that's simply a lack of high-speed exercise. Um, We've done a lot of research here now that shows when we stall horses and you don't have any opportunity for them to sprint, the skeleton is actually very weak compared to ones that sprint just a little difference. And what's fun about that and what makes me proud is one, a simple way to remedy this is simply get your horses turned out a little bit, you know, a little bit of turnout yes. time or a lot of turnout time. It doesn't take much. Just a little bit is good enough. Um, but I'm thinking being able to improve horses' lives because, you know, these horses enjoy that. They enjoy the opportunity to get out. And if we can keep horses sound, to me, that's one of the greatest things. You know, when I check off, this planet, hopefully in another 50, 60 years, I'm in no hurry to leave this planet, um, that, you know, we will be able to have improved the lives of horses uh, across the world and prevent horses from getting injured and, 
And uh, and that's one of the things that I'm going to be discussing in detail there at Equitana is just showing how little high-speed exercise it takes. But so many people are afraid of high-speed exercise, either, you know, uh, allowing that horse to do it on their own or on its back. And if skeleton isn't adapted to it, it absolutely can cause damage. But the trick is to get it adapted to it or at least not have long periods when you are losing mineral from the skeleton and it becoming weaker. Um, also, I've made a big push. Corticosteroid usage is common. And um, had an article published a number of years ago that I was very happy about that we're finally getting word out there. Um, you know, if you have a horse with joint problems, oftentimes corticosteroids uh, are injected and it decreases inflammation, it decreases pain. It looks like the problem is healed, but I'm here to tell you, you have not healed that joint in three days. Mm. Now, the problem is, is you've hidden the fact that there's a problem. And hopefully, we're getting people to understand that a little bit more. That's been a, a harder one to convince because everybody's looking for that quick cure. And it sure looks like you're quickly curing them, but you're really just hiding the problem. So from the research standpoint, that is probably what I'd have to say. And then... From the more fun standpoint, something that I never thought would ever take off the way it has, but I've had so much fun with it the last 20 years ago or so years ago, I happened to compete in a race to determine the world's fastest cow. Now, that has nothing to do with horses, except for the fact I was told that they were going to have this race. And I was like, I bet I could beat a bunch of old dairy farmers. I know how to train racehorses. So we uh, we set a world record for the fastest mile under saddle. And then uh, we held another race, and we set uh, another record for the fastest half mile under saddle. So it's really not horses, but it's absolutely horse-related. And, and the main difference between riding a cow and riding a, a racehorse, well, it's about 30 or 40 miles per hour. So <laughs> I should probably do that in numbers for you, but I can't make that conversion that quickly. So that was one of those fun moments that I just never thought it would take off, and people still have fun with that these days. That's quite funny, isn't it? You know, because if you didn't have the experience with horses, you wouldn't have done it. Oh, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. You know, but mm-hmm. it was my experience with horses. In fact, my cow was really not that fast, but the main <laughs> thing was that she was very well trained. And uh, all these other cows were not necessarily well broke. And so that's what allowed us to win. And if all the cows went like my cow, it would have been really boring because she just went out there. And, you know, I have a racetrack at my own place where I train my horses on. So I was just training my cow on my racetrack. So when we went to the track, it was just like another day at the office for her. And no big deal. So okay. Okay. definitely one of those fun things in life. Yes, yes. And and when I ask you about your proudest moment, it's often related because people tell me about a horse and then tell me their proudest moment. But I think, you know, you've, you've got quite a few things there and, and the research that you're doing. Yeah, there's quite a bit. But what I want to ask now is to get to the research that you're doing, what's the biggest challenge to be able to be in the position of doing that research? You know, if, if you think of someone well, someone who's interested in doing research, what would you say to them is the biggest challenge? Well, I can guarantee you the biggest challenge is it's expensive to do research. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, a good portion of my time is actually writing grant proposals to try and get funding to do the research. And that's one of those things that even earlier today I was meaning to start on a grant proposal, but now it's going to be uh, uh, tomorrow when we'll be able to start on it because it's due in a week. And 
but you, you get some practice at writing these proposals so we can turn them out fairly quickly. Um, but that is the challenge, and it's actually why a lot of things aren't properly tested is because it is so expensive to do research. And so even, um, you know, we, we recently did a study, just to kind of give put it into perspective, where um, we had 24 calves, little bovine baby yep. cows, yep. using bad terminology, and we were looking at sprint exercise. And so these 24 calves were on a research project for six weeks. And then we were looking at skeletal strength and everything. like. And uh, the total cost of that that proposal was $150,000. And I'm not pocketing any of that. That is just for me covering the cost of doing research. And so that's the biggest challenge. And that's why people don't do research as, as often. And oftentimes in other animal species, it's much easier to get funding because they're looking at producing food or fiber, you know, with cattle or sheep or pigs or chickens, people understand the need for those animals or the perceived need, depending on what your dietary preferences are. And horses, the funding agencies, if you're looking at the federal government, they're saying, well, this is just recreation. Who cares about that? Mm. Now, pretty much anybody that's listening to this will realize it's a whole lot more than just recreation. It's quality of life and it's, it's making your life wonderful, as well as trying to improve the lives of these animals that we work with. So there's that part of it. And then there's also knowing how to do research properly. And what's tricky is a lot of people, if they're looking at a treatment for their horse or a supplement, they'll they'll provide the treatment or they'll provide a supplement. And if the animal gets better or performs better, they'll say, see, it works. And in a research setting, you're trained to be a skeptic and you always need to have a controlled study. So the thing is, is you might do the treatment to half of the animals and then not to the other half. And then you look for differences in improvement between the two groups. So you have to analyze things statistically. And and it's also very hard to convince the general public that their eyes might be deceiving them. Because typically if an animal or human is sick and you do nothing, what happens? Well, typically you get better. Yep. I've gotten sick many times in my life and I don't do anything. Mm. And just with time, you get better. And, and even injuries. So I'm a very dedicated runner and I have dealt with injuries many times over my racing career. And, you know, I've never gone for a doctor or anything. And you know what happens is they usually get better, especially if yeah. I take a little time off from my training. Mm-hmm. And so it's tough for a person who sees it with their own eyes that, well, I gave this or I did this and the animal improved. So obviously that was it. And it's like, it really isn't that simple because time often heals also. So that's why we do need to do the studies. That's why we do need to use large numbers of animals so that we can compare both uh, animals that you treat one way as well as ones that you don't treat that way to see if you can see a difference. Um, that being said, it's extremely rewarding. It's extremely fun. And it is so exciting when you start to get the results in and it's like, oh, did it work? Did it not work? And I always feel regardless of the results, we should be excited because we've added to the the breadth of knowledge that's out there. Yep. And we can say, yes, it works. Or you know what? We just didn't see that it worked. And mm-hmm. either way, if you've done your study right, it's useful information. Uh, I'm just interested in, you know, you'd said earlier that most supplements don't work. You must do some work with supplements then. I've done a lot of work with mm-hmm. supplements. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and 
I, there's been a few over the years that, much to my surprise, have made a difference. And there are lots of ones out there that there is no good scientific proof that they work. Mm-hmm. Now, the problem with supplements is it's easy to tell a story that this is why it should work. But until you actually test it in the living animal to find out whether it does work, you really can't say so. But I will also defend the side that says, how are you going to prove it? And I'll give you a, for instance, you know, in terms of racehorses, you can lose a race by a fraction of a second. Might a certain supplement improve that horse's performance by a fraction of a a second? Absolutely. But there is no way science will ever be able to detect that difference because the difference relative to the variation that you see in the general population is just too minor. So rarely do we say, even though I kind of already said it, rarely do we say, you know, a supplement doesn't work. Um, What we have to say is that we weren't able to find that it did anything or that we couldn't find that it had an effect. So there is a difference. Uh, But it all depends on how much is a person willing to pay to take a chance that maybe it might have an effect. If you look at the food animal industry, you know, if you're talking to a dairy producer, if you can't show that there's an increase in the old milk pail, if you can't see an increase in milk production that warrants spending the extra money, they're not going to buy it. Mm. Um, They're much of the opinion, does it work? Horse owners, they are much more inclined to ask the question, well, will it hurt? And if it won't hurt, we'll give it a try. Uh, but I often preach to my students, another one of my favorite quotes, it's not how much you make in the horse industry, it's how much you don't spend. And horse people do spend a lot of money on their horses. And you know what? In a way, that's great because our horse industry, it's not just about trainers and riders. I mean, it is a huge industry that encompasses tons of people that are involved in all parts of service to the horse industry. And so that's great, but I want people to make informed decisions because that way they're probably going to be a little bit happier. And I also think if somebody's providing something to their horse, let's say it's some type of supplement that's supposed to improve joint health or something like that, and it doesn't really work, they may be skipping other treatments or skipping rest that actually might make a difference. So that's why I'm always out there trying to find the truth. Mm, mm, mm. If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. Thinking about just horse owners generally, what's a common fault that you see? You know, horse owners, I'm thinking riders, handlers, trainers, you know, just something else. You've, you've given us so much information already, so, you know, I'm being a bit greedy sure. and a bit more. Yep. Oh, shoot. I, I, <laughs> I love this conversation. Um, actually, I was talking about this in class with one of my classes earlier today. Uh, you know, I think a lot of times horse owners, they they want to do right for their animals. Yep. That's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. but. I would say the vast majority of people want to do right for their animals, but sometimes, and this isn't their fault, they don't have the right information. 
And the trick is, is how do you find the right information? You know, we can go to Facebook or things like that, and it's filled with information, but not necessarily the correct information. And, you know, there's lots of trainers that have been training for years that you can go to, and some of them absolutely know what they're talking about and have the right information, and some of them absolutely don't. Mm. But what typically makes a successful trainer is being a good salesperson, and you as a successful trainer, and by successful, I mean getting clients in, um, you have been able to convince people that you do things right and you know what you're talking about. So whether they do or not, if they are a person that gets clients, they're going to be able to convince them that they know what they're doing. So you don't go to them uh, and automatically assume they know what they're doing. Even veterinarians, uh, and I have tons of veterinarians as very close friends, and I do most of my collaborative work is with vets. And, uh, but they can't know something about everything. And in terms of like nutrition, if you're going to your vet for nutritional facts, they may know, I know some great nutritionists that are veterinarians. And um, there's one who will be also speaking in Aquitana. She's a very good friend and one of the greatest nutritionists I know. And, uh, but there's a lot of them that don't have any experience in nutrition. And so, Asking them advice on feeding their horses, like asking me to do surgery on your horse, except if you have me do surgery on your horse, it's probably going to die. <laughs> if you ask your vet for advice on nutrition, it's probably not going to die, but you might not be able to get it to perform as well. But that is sometimes the only resource uh, a horse owner has available to them uh, that they can fairly well trust, you know, depending on their relationship with the vet. So it's tricky. Everybody wants to do right. And that's great. But the problem is, is not knowing where to get the information. And I often mention to my students that their college years are the best years of their life. And of course, everybody imagines, you know, visiting with friends and having good. And it's like, no, as a college student, you have access to the scientific literature. So if you have a question regarding whether something works, you can search it out on PubMed, Science Direct, uh, all these different things that your average person doesn't have access to. Then they look at me and think, oh, yeah, no, that's not nearly uh, <laughs> such a great thing. Um, but I don't know, and I seriously, I do not know how the average person can get correct advice. Because I even look at, there are people in academia who you would think would know what, and they have a PhD after their name. And they aren't up on the research. They might have agendas. And I've even seen, so I'm a big, you know, I'm a bone physiologist. This is what I've studied for the last 20 some years. Mm -hmm. And I see some friends of mine, I, I, I like these people, but I see them on Facebook talking wrong information, and uh, I don't try to get into discussions because you can waste your life trying to educate people on, on social media, and it just doesn't work. Um, but they're certainly, because of their position, people will believe what they say, even though they're wrong. I don't know how the average person figures things out, but I bless their heart for trying to do what's right. And I think the big thing is to be skeptical. I want my students to be skeptical of what I teach them. And if they have questions about it, hit up the scientific literature. And hopefully they'll find out that at least in terms of what we know from a scientific standpoint, as of this year, this is as current as it gets. Now, in 10 years, we may find out that what I'm teaching you, well, 
more science has been done, and now we have to reevaluate things a little bit. But we should be skeptical and not believe people just because. And realistically, it doesn't have to be expensive to own a horse. It can be relatively inexpensive mm-hmm. as long as you're not wasting a lot of money on things that don't work. Yep. But how does yep. that person know what works and they don't? I don't know. Yep. Okay. Just thinking about everything that you've said already, have you got a book that you could recommend to our listeners? You know, I was once going to write a book on horses, then I discovered you could buy one for about $5. (laughs) (laughs) Well, is that, though, the $5 books, you know, they going back to what you said about, you know, it's good salespeople, or is it because they really know? Right. You know, here's the trick regarding a good, solid book that I would recommend. Um, I don't really have one. You know, if a person is interested in equine exercise physiology, so that's my area of science, um, there is the book, it's called The Athletic Horse, and it's a phenomenal one. It's written based strictly off science, and they have experts in each area. I've written a, a chapter uh, regarding training the racing quarter horses because, you know, I'm one of the few people in academia that has experience with that. But what they do is they get people um, who are experts in various areas. Uh, again, it's written at a high level, probably for your average horse owner, they probably wouldn't need to go that in depth. But if for a person who is passionate about it and wanting to do things as right as possible, I would certainly recommend it. And as a disclaimer, I don't get a penny for every copy that's sold. For writing a book chapter, I got a copy of the book. I have lots of books. I didn't need another one. Um, but I, I don't gain anything by it if a person, you know, gets themselves a copy. But I do recommend it. It's, again, it's called The Athletic Horse. And it's fairly recently. I, I think it, the, the most recent edition just came out a few years ago. Um, so I would say that was probably one of the ones that, in this area of science, I would probably recommend. Mm-hmm. And remember, you can find all the books recommended by our guests at horsechats.com slash books. You can have a look at the guest page for the individual book they recommended or just look at the recommended books by order of popularity at horsechats.com slash books. Now, looking forward, and I know you're going to Equitana, what else are you looking forward to? Oh, you know what's fun is I have four grad students right now yep. and uh, two PhDs, two masters. What are the masters? She's going to be sticking around for a PhD. And what I really enjoy is discovering the new types of studies. And I love working with these young people that are enthusiastic. And and it's tough when I'm talking with undergrad students that want to get involved in the research projects because they're like, you know, so like next spring, do you have any studies going? And I'm like, well, the odds are we will. I just don't know what they'll be at this time. <laughs> okay. it's, it's one of these things that, you know, these ideas come up and then we see if we can get the funding for it. And if we do, we trudge ahead with it. And it's a, a fun job from the standpoint of, you know, there's probably lots of people out there who have that desire to ask a question and find the answer, but we're given that opportunity to really do that. And and I've been um, spoiled, I'll call it like it is, getting to travel the world because of horses. Uh, earlier today, I was contacted about um, 
speaking in Istanbul, Turkey, uh, in September of next year. Mm-hmm. And ironically, I've spoken in Istanbul twice. And but you know, it's one of these fun things that I do get to do a bit of traveling. I was in Australia last year to speak at uh, recent advances in animal nutrition about some of our research, and you know, get to go back there and and again, what a neat experience. You know, horses. They take us all for rides, and my rides just have been a little bit longer, and sometimes they're involved in an airplane. Um, (laughs) But who knows what the next bit of research that we'll be doing, even though I think we're always going to have some of our work focusing on trying to prevent injuries. But there's other ones where we get to explore new technologies. Uh, We have a study going on right now where looking at horses in high altitude chambers, so low oxygen. So we have some thoroughbred race horses at a race facility where we're working this. This is technology that's done with human athletes all the time. And uh, there's been a little bit of work in horses. And I, I don't think it's anything that's going to revolutionize uh, horse racing, but from the curiosity standpoint, I'm seeing if it can make a difference. It's basically like living high on a mountain and getting adapted to that. Um, so, yeah, it's just really hard to say. This project that we're uh, that I'll be writing up here this week to try and get funding is looking at the forces that go on horses' legs as they experience circular exercise. A lot of people lunge horses. The problem with lunging is you are causing very uneven loading of the joints. And it's a great way to induce arthritis, especially if the circles are uh, small and fast. And so we hope to put some projects together to explore that in greater detail. And, And what a great, fun life to be able to try and answer some of these questions that, you know, anything that we come up with, we can try and answer. You sound very excited, very excited, very passionate about what you do. That's for sure. I'm lucky. I cannot think of a different job in this world that I would rather have. Yeah. That's not a bad gig. (laughs) All right. Now, Brian, before we go, would you like to say a few sentences, just summarize your philosophy with horses into a message? Yeah. You know what? The number one thing is we are their caretakers, and and Mm -hmm. I think we have to do as good by them as we possibly can. And and, and again, most people don't intentionally try to harm their horse or, or do anything wrong for it. Oftentimes, what they're trying to do is trying to do the right thing, but in essence, they kind of mess up. And one of the ways that uh, they do mess up is you know, handling our horses with kid gloves, meaning I look at the racing industry as a perfect example of doing things wrong by trying to do things right. In a way, I feel so bad for the highest level trainers who get the most expensive horses because those horses, by the time they get them, they've been stalled and pampered and they're months away from when they were actually being a horse out on pasture roughhousing. And when we start to baby our horses to that extreme, they can no longer handle rigors of training without having some challenges. Now, the reason, again, that they do that is they don't want these horses injured, you know, when they're out there playing. But if you never allow them to play and be a horse, then they're going to be kind of on the fragile side. And that's what we tend to have created. So I'm all about letting a horse be a horse. I'm all about, uh, you know, trying to provide as much pasture time as possible for your horses. My own racehorses, 
uh, a number of years ago, I switched, and now my horses live on pasture 24-7. Uh, the only time they go into a stall is when I take them to the track to race. And, uh, you know, we, we've been successful. I, I can't say that I wouldn't have made more money maybe if I stalled them and did stuff, but we're getting our fair share of wins, and our horses are happy, and I'm happy because my horses don't like to live in stalls. And at the same point, I'm not totally condemn stalls because you often get used to whatever you are used to living in. And the the last little example, so I live in the country and, you know, you can't hardly see any neighbors around and there's deer and there's coyote and there's fox. And, you know, in the middle of the night, it's great to hear the coyotes howling right outside the window. And there's people who live in the city that live in an apartment and they would be horrified by that. Yes. Yeah. And by contrast, Man, you put me in a big city, that has no appeal to me. Put me on the country. So I think the same thing does exist with our horses. So I don't want to say that, like, stalling is absolutely horrible. I just want you to remember that, you know what, horses, they're athletes, and being a little bit tough is not a bad thing for them. And a lot of them, they really want to be a horse. They want to be with their comrades. You know, they are a herd animal, and that can't always be the way we manage them. But the more you can do of it, the better it is for the horses. Yep. Yep. All right. I think that's a great message. Um, now, what about if people would like to contact you? What's the best way? Well, probably the easiest thing would just be to email me. Yep. And my email address is very simple. It's my initials. And my name is Brian Douglas Nielsen. So my initials are B as in boy, D as in dog, N as in nothing, at msu.edu and msu is for Michigan State University and the .edu is for education. So bdn at msu.edu. That's pretty pretty good. But if people have missed that, they can go to horsechats.com and just search for Brian or search for Nielsen or just go to horsechats.com slash Brian Nelson and you'll find that on his page there. you find all those details. Brian, it's been wonderful talking to you. Just enjoyed it. You know, I've uh, just allowed you to talk because the information you're giving us is just great. I'm sure you, your students enjoy your classes. You know, you're a great speaker, you, but you give lots of good information as well. So kept us entertained, kept us going and, and the good information. So great combination. Well, thank you so much. It's a pleasure. I'd love to have you back some other time. So hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. That sounds great. And, and again, it, it, uh, any person who gets to work with horses and students for their life, they're a spoiled person. And yeah. I'm one of those people. I am spoiled. For sure. So, for sure. Anyway, it's been a pleasure chatting with you, and hopefully we'll chat again soon. Yes. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate, and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 